Welcome to Wood Talk Online Radio, for woodworkers, by woodworkers. Now, here are three guys who are actually under the illusion that woodworking is cool. Mark, Matt, and Shannon. All right, it's episode 111 for November 28th, 2012. On today's show, we only have a couple of topics, but we're really going to dig in deep to those topics. Uh, We're talking about hide glue and glue-ups, and I think we have a couple little sidebars to talk about with cold weather glue-ups and squeeze-out and clean-up and all that good stuff. But before we get to the contact info, here is a quick little word from our little sponsors. This episode of Wood Talk is supported by Bad Axe Toolworks. What did Doc Holliday, Wyatt Earp, and Jim Bowie all have in common? They were real bad axes, just like Shaka Zulu, Captain America, and Darth Vader. Throw down with Bad Axe on your side, you won't regret it. Visit BadAxeToolworks.com for more information. And by Benchcrafted is work holding for serious woodworkers. Remember what Chris Schwartz says. Benchcrafted makes the three best woodworking voices I've ever used. And just to be clear, Benchcrafted only makes three voices. Visit Benchcrafted.com for more information. Hey, and when it comes to more information, if you have comments, questions, or maybe a topic suggestion, you have several different ways to contact us. Remember, you can leave us a voicemail on our Skype. Look for our username, which is Wood Talk Online. You can call our voicemail line at 623-242-5180. Email us at woodtalkonline at gmail.com. And don't forget, you can also leave us a comment on our Wood Talk Facebook page, which a lot of you did today. It's nice to see how fast you put something up and you all just jump right on it. And I have really <laughs> got to make sure I've got my P's and Q's all set on that one because I love to accidentally post things on Facebook and then regret them <laughs> later on. Yeah, it's just all too but- easy to do. <laughs> way too easy but if you're ever looking for the show notes especially for today's show or any of the previous ones and if you're looking for the downloads don't forget you can find them at woodtalkshow.com and like, like i said that's where you're gonna find all this great information including this contact information so with that out of the way i say we jump right into what's on the bench and then we can jump into those glue questions after we do that maybe i don't know a couple other things too i don't know yeah, if that's definitely. okay with you guys sounds good to me hey before we do the bench thing i wanted to mention i forgot to put this in the show notes too is woodtalkshow.com part of what we were trying to do is to make that the hub for the show and just recently our buddy underscore funk you guys know john funk he's pretty much behind everything cool, man everything cool on my website uh <laughs> he coded a nice little jukebox player for the show. So if you go to woodtalkshow.com, right there on that page is the latest episode. And instead of having to click to go to that next episode, it's right there and you can play it. And you can get to the last 20 episodes uh, just listed underneath. So click on any episode and boom, the player starts going. Uh, Sweet. Yeah, it's HTML5 compatible. You could use it on uh, any device. Uh, it's a fantastic little feature. So if you want to catch up on old shows, that's a good place to do it. And I thought, thought it was worth mentioning. Oh, heck John's- yeah. John's Kung Fu is strong. Yes, yes. <laughs> anyway, all right, so what's on the bench, Shannon? It's on the bench. Uh, well, I have been doing a lot of carving lately. I just did a, well, I just filmed a, a lesson for the hand tool school, so I'm kind of, it's weird. It's one of those things, I don't know if you guys are like this, but it, you, as you kind of fall down the rabbit hole of like the the individual, what do we call them, disciplines, I guess, of woodworking, you know how you kind of go in head first and you get kind of addicted by it. I don't know whether it's because it's something totally new or not, but I mean, I've been, I've been futzing around with carving chisels for like three years now, but I really in the last like six or eight months began to really focus like all the practice exercises I've pulled together and, you know, working through them all and doing them all. And it's like, it's addictive. It's like I go into my (laughs) shop and I was like, Oh yeah, I've got that that table over there. I should work on screw that. I'm going to grab a carving chisel and, make a leaf or do a Japanese symbol. I mean, it's, it's really cool. And I think it's a little bit like turning where it's something that you can, it's kind of standalone, you know, you can just sit down, spend an evening and do something. Um, and I don't know, there's just something very simple about it too. I can see why there are people that call themselves wood carvers and not woodworkers, just like there are wood turners. Yeah. It's, it's, It's one of those rabbit holes of woodworking. Oh, yeah, that, totally, totally. You know, I, I have to ask a question. An expensive I, one too, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that, that's not the truth. You know, I have a question for you. There's a question that actually came in from a, somebody over on Facebook, and they were talking about doing carvings. And I guess they want to do some sort of Japanese carving. I guess it's, they want to do a Japanese butt in the carving, but they want to know if they have to use a Japanese butt chisel in order to achieve that butt carving. 
Mm, you have a response for that. I'm sorry. I, to me, this is a hilarious conversation. Even as a woodworker, what is a Japanese butt? Besides what I'm thinking it is. <laughs> I guess uh, maybe an actual picture of a butt. <laughs> really? Somebody's butt. Like, maybe they're actually... doing it like they want to have a, a plaque on the wall that will be a consistent moon year round. Like, <laughs> like, oh, like, oh, there we go. I don't like, is that a thing? What is that, Shannon? Um, well, the answer is yes. Yes, you do. You must have one. And it has to be only, it can only have been folded 20,000 times under a full moon. So it's a lot of folding under the full moon. <laughs> uh, by so. the way, I just Googled Japanese butt. I'm pretty sure. <laughs> you not, thank you. I'm pretty That's sure. That's something you probably don't want to do at work, right? I don't know that I would want to carve that. Just saying. All right. Anyway. It's actually pretty easy. Just a V chisel or a veiner and. You know, just line it out and you're good to go. If you want to round it over a little bit, no big deal. Nope. That's that's taking it too far, Shannon. No, Are we talking it, it, high relief carving of a butt or a low relief carving? If she's geisha, does that mean it has to be like a a, a white wood, like an aspen, something that's going to be very you know mm. pale? Why is it always about color with you, Matt? Why you got to be that? Way? <laughs> I'm just going to let you guys go on this one. <laughs> just let us have at it, boys. Dreams. Have at it. <laughs> Oh, it's okay. So going on here lately with me. <laughs> All right. Anyway, uh, Matt, what's on your bench? Let's get way off of Shannon's bench. Yes. Well, we're going to turn this from something really adult to something <laughs> that's more family friendly. And that's I just finished up a child's table base. I have some friends that <clears throat> I'll also call them clients because they do pay me for this. And they actually do appreciate some of the things that happen that I do that I make happen for the projects that they want and they actually pay me rather nicely for it. Uh, but what ended up happening is they, their, their daughter wanted to, uh, well, actually not the daughter, the mom wanted to have a table made for the child. So she's having a, uh, the tabletop itself made up. She works for uh, kind of an industrial furniture company. So she's having this really nice tabletop made up, but she wanted a solid maple base for it. And so I ended up uh, creating this and it was kind of fun. I did a lot of bandsaw work on it. These are, for once, I actually have not really straight lines for this. I really kind of played with them a little bit. I've managed to film the whole entire thing, so this will be coming out much later on. But the big thing for me is this was an opportunity to finally – anybody remember that Festool uh, sander that I bought, but I was oh, yeah. more enthused with the vacuum? <laughs> yeah. Well, I finally broke out the sander and was having a lot of fun with that, too. Not as much fun as with the vacuum, but I uh, was just really Im- impressed with it. If anything, it's like one of those. I don't want to do a commercial for Festool, but damn, I like their sander. Nice. Well, you know what you can do? You can get a big poster or a banner and put it behind you in the shop. Just, you know, there you go. Oh, yeah, I only have so much room for so many banners. Uh, I think there actually will be – I'll have to, have to check with the uh, local code enforcement to yeah. see if I can have more than one billboard in my go. basement. So we'll have to see. Cool. But I'm having a hard time with the sandpaper because I know that they have all these great names. I think this one that I'm using is Rodrigo or, or Rodrigo. I can't remember. It starts with an N. Uh, Ruben. There it is. But I like Rodrigo. Damn, that's funny. I like Rodrigo better. I think we really should email them and suggest it. Like, hey, what about a name change? How about Rodrigo? Rodrigo. Yeah, Yeah, it might might take up a little bit more room on the back of the pad. But yeah, that was was really, really impressed with it. Nice. I think you just need to get Festool stickers and put them on your safety goggles. There you go. I do like Fig Newton, but this sticker's dangerous. <laughs> so anyways, that that's all the fun that I've been having in my shop this nice. week. How about you, Mark? I, I, I imagine that you've been having a little bit of fun with some uh, Wenge. Wenge. I haven't touched the Wenge yet. Actually, I haven't even picked it up. I'm still playing with the Bubinga. Um, at this point, have started the milling process. I'm working on the footboard. The footboard, it's so big. It's just like a giant. It almost just reminds me of assembling a workbench top. Uh, but a little bit thicker. So I'm putting that together today. And frankly, that's not even what I'm excited about. I'm excited more sort of in a big picture thing because I'm finally giving the shop a workout. Um, You know, between the, the, of course, filming slows me down, but I'm still building. I'm making sawdust. I'm running the dust collector, getting the tools, uh, giving them a nice workout. So I feel like I'm a woodworker again. And it's, (laughs) you know, whether I've been in a makeshift shop or a somewhat assembled mini shop or uh, the old house, it just never felt like home. It never felt good. Uh, And finally, in, in the new shop space, I mean, I'm a little bit spoiled there. How could you not? enjoy it but but it's really nice to finally get into another project and feel like i can actually call myself <laughs> call myself a woodworker again because i'm making salt now i'm sure the question on everyone's mind besides when are you going to replumb the ductwork but <laughs> what is actually in the wood whisperer's shop fridge 
There's no fridge in there. But you had a fridge with next to the bathroom. Come I was on, I was gonna, and it's not there. It's not there yet. I'm still debating it because when you live in Arizona and you have a shop, and it's not always going to be constantly air cooled, it it feels like the frugal side of me just like I have a problem putting a little mini fridge in there because it's going to be fighting hundred and you know plus degree temperatures all the time uh, for what you know to put a couple things of water in there. So if I had a fridge, it would probably hold water. And maybe like some of my glues that that might last a little bit longer, uh, like CA glue, for instance, I might put in the fridge. But that's about it. Uh, maybe some half and half for coffee. <laughs> well, actually, uh, I think the, the more pressing issue is: Do you now regret not stepping up to a very industrial bathroom fan? That's my big thing. <laughs> you know, it, okay, maybe it's just me. I'm sure it's not. <laughs> But your own farts and your own business does not stink as bad. No, it doesn't. I, to I, yourself, when I step as it out of the bathroom, I don't know why the family suddenly freaks out. No, what's your <laughs> what problem? That actually smells fairly decent to me. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, I'm the only person in the shop, so I don't even have to turn on the fan. Uh, there's no courtesy, you know, need there. But no, I don't regret that. But you know, I think I might make room in the fridge for an emergency Dr Pepper. You know, if I'm really having a tough day go. and I want to crack one open and kick back, maybe some grape sodas even. There you go. I was going to um, say, I'm like, how could you not have grape sodas in there to celebrate <laughs> the end of a good project? Yeah. So anyway, I feel really good about it. I feel energized. Um, it, it just it just feels good to have the shop and to be able to use it and crank out some uh, some projects now. So looking forward to moving on with the bed project, moving on to the next stage and then the next project after that. Just feels good. Sweet. Yeah. So awesome. All right, let's move to the around the web section. We got a couple things here. First of all, if you were on the internet this week and you're a woodworker, you probably couldn't avoid all of the links to this old woodworking shop that was discovered. Uh, I guess it's in in the Boston area. Am I am I right with that? Yeah, I mean it was the Boston Globe that reported it, but uh, somewhere I, in I, Massachusetts. Yeah, I'm not familiar with Massachusetts yeah, that's Boston. geography. Uh, it's uh, <laughs> Boston. That's Boston. Ish. Yeah, it's, it's it's very far away from where I live. Let's put it that way. Uh, but I have an article here from the Boston Globe and a Peter Follinsby blog post where he actually took more pictures and he's part of the team that's responsible, I guess, now for either restoring it or taking care of it or whatever they're going to do with it. It's an old 18th century woodworking shop. And I think I read something about it was originally for teaching children. Uh, but this place is largely intact. It's fairly small, but you see the workbenches, you see some of the, the holding, you know, tool holding things on the wall. Everything is there. And it's almost like, you know, uh, you're just jumping back in time to the day that they moved everything out, cleared the place out and closed the door. Uh, so it's it's pretty amazing just to see it fairly untouched. It is old and I won't say dilapidated, dilapidated. What I always have trouble with that word. You know what I mean? Old, yeah, for old. me it's like orange. I, sometimes it comes out orange, other times it comes orange. out orange. Uh, but it's not falling apart so much, but it is definitely old. So really, really cool looking pictures. Uh, even if you're not a woodworker, I think this is something historically you might find very cool to look at. So we'll, we'll give you all the links there in the show notes. You know, the funny thing is when I saw this uh, the article originally and then I was glad to see that you posted something about it too because mm-hmm. uh, I think it was earlier this year or it was last year, somebody had posted a practical joke that was something to do with a shop that was discovered with everything in place. And then the punchline at the end of it was that uh, apparently they were just not a very good uh, woodworker, much like people today kind of a thing. <laughs> yeah. And I fell for that joke so hard. I didn't even read the whole article and I was bragging to Sam about how amazing it was. So when this one came around, I'm like, I'm going to walk through this very slowly. I'm going to check three <laughs> sources to make sure that this is real. <laughs> nice. <laughs> All right. Uh, who's got the next one? Oh, that's me. Actually, this one is going to relate to something that we're going to talk about today uh, in one of the questions. I'm sure we're all familiar with Matthias Wendell. He uh, is the... what. Woodwork, I think it's the name of woodgears.ca. And he has just some amazing videos up. Uh, Woodworking for Engineers, I think, is one of the subtitles that he has on there. And it's crazy some of the things that he comes up with. Well, he did this whole entire article about uh, is it possible to squeeze out a glue joint so tight that it actually weakens the bond? Mm -hmm. And I think the most amazing thing that came out of this is – he, what he ended up doing was taking uh, several uh, glue joints, he, he glued all these things up, and then he put on like over like 300 pounds of pressure onto them to really squeeze it super tight and then basically repeated it with like a 10-pound weight used as the sole uh, uh, clamp holding everything in place. But the, the one that he was like, this will never work, 
How many times have you heard people, or maybe even tried it yourself, you have a loose tenon, so you just fill it with, like, PVA glue, and then just, like, you know, well, that's going to hold it. I mean, I'm guilty of having done that in the past, and we all know that it's going to fail miserably. Never. (laughs) Never. Whatever. (laughs) Anyway, so for the rest of us who have... Not not PVA glue. (laughs) That's right. (laughs) Well, for the rest of us that have done this at some point in our life, it turns out that when he was measuring these to see how well these things were going to hold, that was the one that actually held the best out of all the joints. And the ones that failed the quickest were the ones where he squeezed the clamps way too tight, where he applied way too much pressure. So he was more or less demonstrating that it's possible to squeeze too much, uh, put too much pressure and actually squeeze out some of the glue. Mm Mm-hmm. So it's, he has a video up about it showing the whole entire process, which is neat because he breaks joints, which is kind of fun because it reminds you of like mob guys breaking legs a little bit if you listen to it without watching the video. But, it actually is kind of funny the way he has it set up. I mean, he's basically just got a rig that he came up with to do this. So it's really funny to watch when he first cracks his first joint. The thing just explodes, you know, and there's like <laughs> you hear like a nut fall into the ground and everything's all over the place and he's got to set it back up for the next one. Um, but every time he does it, you just hear crack and then all this <laughs> stuff falls on the floor. It's great. Yeah, it, it, it's a really neat video. Just seeing some of the things he comes up with. And once again, it's just like way over engineered for a woodworker like myself. But it's kind of neat to watch these things happen. Yeah, you know, I was wondering what you guys think just in general. Let's not get uh, too far off on a tangent on this. But sometimes these clamping or not clamping, these uh, joint tests are always, I don't know, something about them just bugs me. And this is not his <laughs> test in particular. This goes to what, anybody. You mean the fact that they measured in kilonewtons of force? <laughs> <laughs> now, just in general, when you're looking at sample sizes, you know, anyone who's taken a basic statistics class knows that you have to have a good sample size. Otherwise, the results aren't nearly as relevant as, as you might hope they are. Um, when you have ranges of, I don't know, anywhere from 100 to uh, 150, maybe, let's say, in the same test result, hypothetically, and your, your pound range is that wide and you only d- did three tests, you know, it kind of doesn't really say much about what the true number is. Um, So these tests are fun. I find them very fun, but I wonder just how useful the results are. And are we overanalyzing something that doesn't really need to be overanalyzed? For instance, if you're looking at your average joint, let's say I'm looking at the averages that he reported just as an example, and by no means am I picking on his because I think he he did a really good job with this and it was fun to watch. Uh, But as an example, let's take the lowest rated average at 113, Mm-hmm. and you multiply 113 by 4, right? Because whatever this joint is, most of the time when we're looking at joint strength, let's think in terms of a chair, all right? So if you had three of those, uh, 113 times 4, you're looking at about 452 pounds that that thing can sustain. Uh, one of the other ones that performed a little bit better was 151 pounds times 4 is 600 pounds. So we're looking at, what the heck was that number? 450 something. Okay. So 452 compared to 604. So by the, my point here is by the time you expand this one joint into an actual real world project and multiply it by the number of joints that are contained and that weight will then be divided amongst those joints. The difference is now between let's say 600 pounds and 452 pounds. Aren't both of those enough to handle just about (laughs) anything you're going to throw at it. Now, Yes, of course, there may be people who put more pressure on it because they're leaning on the chair or they're really heavy. Uh, whatever the case is, that, that 200, 150 extra pounds may make a difference. But sometimes when we look at these things, if you're, if you're putting good joinery into it, these little detailed things just may not be as, as big of a deal as, as, right. as we make them out when we overanalyze the numbers this way. I, I just love how whenever they do these things, you ever notice that no two uh, comparisons ever like have like the, the same measurements they never show the same exact thing i mean <laughs> when i've looked at ones from from the previous ones i don't, I don't remember them ever having you know if they, they should take this and re redo it like any other scientific thing I, you know have like three or four other people do the same exact thing and see if they get the same numbers because i don't know maybe it's just me maybe i don't really pay close enough attention to the numbers but whenever i see these come up they, they are always in some weird pound per square inch or something measurement that never matches the other ones and they always have some weird <laughs> explanation for it and yeah, all the, yeah. well that one that the wood they worked with in that previous one was only kiln dried for such and such time and it was raised on a farm that was on the side of a hill our yeah. wood was raised in a, <laughs> uh, a valley it was harvested under a japanese moon 
Exactly. Right, <laughs> With right. a butt chisel. Yeah, <laughs> of course. Why not? Uh, well, and that's the thing, too, is the other major variable here that plays into wood strength is the wood itself. Uh, and if you're using all wood from the same lot, or maybe you're using wood, like you said, having different places test in different regions with wood uh, from different sources, uh, one board to another. I know that if I get a batch of like, just as an example, African mahogany, I mean, some boards are just like balsa wood and other boards are almost like Honduran mahogany in their density. Um, so that happens in lots of species. It's just it's a natural product. Uh, that's so, probably the worst species, by the way. Yeah, well, that's, <laughs> why, I, that. that's why I used it as an example. Yeah, it's um, like the ultimate conglomerate species. Yeah. It's grown. Africa's a big place. Yeah. <laughs> and they grow it in just about every corner of Africa and they lump it all in the same container and sell it as African mahogany. Yeah. There's like 400 different species with different soil chemistries all in that same container. Right. Like, right. yeah. Yeah. So it's anyway, my, my point here, uh, although I took us way off topic, it's just, it, it's very interesting. These things are fun to look at, but I got to wonder if you're using just anything that would be qualified as good quality joinery and it's not super loose and you're applying glue, <laughs> you know, <laughs> I mean, do you really have anything to worry about? Is this, is this really going to change the way you do something or does changing this, uh, does getting that extra couple of pounds, uh, is it really worth extra effort on your part? If, if it's, if it gives you a few extra pounds and it's not much effort, then sure do it. Um, but I don't know. I just tend to be a little bit of a naysayer with some of these, uh, these types of tests. Oh, I couldn't tell. I'm good. <laughs> Shut up. <laughs> I'm just angry. So what today. you're saying is in the future, we should have a real test. We should have, you know, a big fat guy sit on the chair. Yes. We should have three children jump up and down on it. A real well, life test. Have, exactly. Know, as soon as well, the show's over, I'm going to go sit at the dining room table and we have a similar chair. So I'll go ahead and start filming <laughs> that right now. We no, actually, what, fight with the chair. What I'm I mean, saying is that I would love for someone to waste a whole lot of wood and a whole lot of time to give us a statistically significant series of results that we can then look at. And they'll probably tell us the same thing these other ones do, but it would still be a little more satisfying to actually get statistically significant numbers with, you know, small standard deviations and things like that. And that's, that's, that's my phrasing to let you know that I did actually pay attention (laughs) in statistics. (laughs) <laughs> the um, only thing I learned in statistics is you don't have to eat the whole water bowl, uh, water buffalo to know the meat is tough. That's that's how my statistics class started out, and that was the last thing I paid. That's very for. interesting. By the way, I, I hated had, statistics. I had a lot of really cute girls in my statistics class, so I remember nothing. I hated statistics. All right. I hated statistics All right. too. Who's got to the next water buffalo? <laughs> Who's got the next link? Uh, this is me. Um, there is an exhibit at the Metropolitan Museum of Art in New York, and. Um, I, I just discovered they had a YouTube channel. I don't know why I doubted they would, but this guy, David Rentgen, is um, – I don't even know what you'd call him. I mean, he's got a bunch of furniture, but he's got these other kind of sculptures and like automaton type things. But there is just some mind-blowing videos of his furniture. And the one that we'll put in the show notes, it's a link to this gaming table. And it looks like a typical um, 18th century game table. You know, it's got the, the leaf that opens up and a swing leg and everything. But it's got like four different levels in it and spring-loaded things. And it's like puzzle box mixed <laughs> with game table. Nice. And then there's a there's another one on there. If you, if you go to the YouTube page, I'm sure it'll be one of the suggested links. But there's a roll-top desk as well with like 20 billion secret compartments filled with Japanese butt chisels, I might add. And <laughs> it's just it's just awesome. It's just so cool to see what it is. If you ever saw the movie National Treasure and thought that cool puzzle desk in the president's office was cool, you oh, like yeah. this. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that is a fun so, desk. Nice. Yeah. So anyway. All right, cool. You know, just for the record, I just want to say that Swing Leg was one of my favorite games I used to play in college. <laughs> okay. I'm lost yeah. on that one. You have to fill me in on that one later. (laughs) Just listen back. You'll hear it. (laughs) All righty. Poll of the week. Matt, who's your poll of the week? Oh, this week, my uh, poll of the week is John Krasinski. Now, you might know him from Office fame. Hmm. Uh, He just is an all-around great guy, and I I really love his acting ability. So, uh, John, congratulations. Uh, You're talking about the U.S. version of, of The Office? Uh, yes, I'm sorry. Yes, yes. Okay. The, the U.S. version. Uh, he's also uh, been uh, in Away We Go, Leatherheads, Licensed to Wed, Big Miracles, Something Borrowed, and It's Complicated. And doesn't he do that uh, insurance commercial now? Insurance, uh, insurance.com? Not in my area, apparently. I think he does the voiceover for insurance. Oh, well, so, in that case. Yeah, look into that ah. for me. Very important. Okay. Okay. I'm, I'm going to do that right now while you're doing the rest of the stuff. Yeah, let me know after <laughs> after we're done with the poll here. Um, so Tom Iovino, you know him, right? Tom's Workbench.com. He does the polls for us every week, and 
He gave us a good one, very uh, timely. Are you building stuff for the holidays? Now, we had 497 votes. 48% said, I sure am. 28% said, I'll try, but time is getting short. 12% said, absolutely not. Bunch of Grinches. Um, <laughs> six, 6% said, I would love to, but no one would want to receive my stuff. Wah, wah, wah. Like a Debbie Downer comment. I like that one. <laughs> uh, and only 3% said, building? Heck, I'm done. So Yeah, they lie. Liars! <laughs> 3% are liars. <laughs> yeah, I, I fall in the 6% range, so we're... <laughs> yeah, well, I, the, the one that I have is that it's not absolutely not, it's just no. You know, like absolutely yeah, not. Mine, as, mine wasn't. Mine wasn't listed, and, and mine is. What are you talking about? It's not Christmas Eve yet. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, he's he, Shannon's going to be there. Plenty of time. Christmas Eve with the lathe going. Got his leg going on his spring pole lathe. All right. Yeah. <laughs> that's where the uh, cookies you know, and milk are got to go somewhere. Right. Twelve percent was the typical answer I got before I met Sam. There's another one you're going to have to. You're, you're, you've got some really good jokes today that I'm not kidding. That's okay. I got it's it, come back I got it. Okay. I liked it. I, I liked it. I appreciate it. I got to listen back to the show just to get Matt's jokes. It's You can't just go once through. <laughs> this, is, this is Matt's guerrilla marketing tactic of getting people to listen Listen again. multiple times, yeah. <laughs> I still didn't get it. I got to listen a fourth time. Uh, good, good job, Matt. I like that. All right. No voicemails today. We're going to move right on to our emails, and this heads into our topics as well. We've got a lot to talk about with Hide Glue. So, Matt, if you want to read those questions, we'll jump right into it. Okay. Uh, now this com- comes from Dustin Whitcomb, and he says, "I've been curious about the use of hide glue. Have any of you used it? And if so, pros and cons. I build guitars, and I know many companies use it for the fretboard glue up. I just haven't explored that option yet. Now, for myself, I'm just going to kick it off and say mm, no. But I've gotten glue on my hide several times, and that has been very difficult, depending on which glue it is to get off. But Use a butt chisel." I should use that a Japanese Sorry. butt chisel. That'll Sorry. take it right that, off. That joke has run its course. Yeah, not yet. <laughs> uh, but anyways, I, I have not really used hide glue. I, I've heard all these fantastic things about it. I know, Shannon, you've talked about it a few times. Um, and I know Chris Shores and a few, quite a few other people have mentioned just how it, the number one thing that's really fantastic about it is its open time and its workability. Uh, the only other downsides I've ever heard to it is that it smells like wet dog. If that's putting it nicely. (laughs) Yeah. Um, so I'm really curious actually to find out a little bit more about the pros and cons because, uh, I, it's something that I, I've really been considering trying out, especially in my shop. I, 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 there are plenty of things I've done where I could really, really use a little extra open time. So, uh, anybody, Shannon, would you want to maybe Honestly, I think one of the biggest, probably the biggest advantage is that it's not affected. It won't affect finishes. So, you know, you, you know, you, you've gotten to that point where you're putting finish on, you think you got all the glue off and you're like, don't, you know, there's that little spot right in the corner of the dovetail or yes. um, high glue. It, it doesn't care. You know, the finish will absorb into it. Um, well, it, does that matter if it's whether the pre-manufactured or the one that you, you actually make up yourself? Because I know that there's there's old John Brown's uh, hide glue or something like that where you, you buy the actual pellets and you have to make it yourself like you would if you bought sh- uh, shellac flakes. Um, I've got hide glue that I bought from um, Tools for Working Wood and I use old brown um, glue and I've also used Tight Bonds hide uh, glue. Okay. I haven't seen any difference as far as that. So I, I don't know. Now, granted, if you leave big clumps of it on there it's probably going to interfere with the finish but i mean we're all cleaning up our joints anyway but it's just one of those things that you know invariably you miss something somewhere um especially if you're like me and you don't really sand but you hand plane Mm -hmm. um you know there's a there's a tendency that maybe you missed one in a in in a a corner or something like that and to me that's like the number one version uh number one reason that that i use it um you know, open time, certainly there's a difference there, but I don't ever, I don't know about you guys, but maybe my glue ups just aren't that complex. Um, <laughs> I don't really ever find myself like, you know, racing the clock on this. Well, you need um, to step right? up your game, sir. I, I guess so. I'm not challenging <laughs> myself. Or, or your, maybe your designs are too, far too simple. I yep. mean, that's just disturbing. Well, if it's really difficult, I do like sub assemblies. 
and then glue up the subassemblies. So in that I, case, you have way too much time on your hands, and you need to be rushing from point A to point B. Way regardless, no matter what you say, you're wrong. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, uh, beside the the whole thing with like the 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 opportunity for like supposedly an open a longer open time. One question I have about it is with with like a typical PVA. One one thing that some people will complain about me uh, is that. Sometimes it will swell the wood a little bit. You know how when you have a, a, a glue line, they always say make sure that you don't sand that right away because sometimes the, wo- the wood is swollen right along that glue line. And then suddenly once it dries completely, you'll, you'll have that little that little divot from where, where you sanded for far too long. Right. Does hide glue have a, a situation like that? I mean, I mean what's the main ingredient swell, in it? It'll swell the joint a little will bit. It? Okay. But, um, I can't say that I've noticed a huge difference there. But, you know, I'll, I'll be honest. I have used... Uh, I've been using high glue almost exclusively for about two years now. Um, I used some Gorilla, the, the white glue, uh, a couple couple weeks ago, but that's like the first time I've used something other than high glue for a while. So maybe I'm, I just don't have enough of a, a memory to compare the two. But I mean, my my joints will still swell a little bit, especially on a tight fit. Um, it is something that you got to be a little aware of. That you know, I, I didn't need necessarily a mallet to put those dovetails together before, and now I've got a gently nudge it together because everything is swollen up a little bit so i i don't know maybe there's a difference i haven't seen it well and then my my last question about it um oh my god it just left my brain yeah i think you already answered it never mind maybe i'll come Uh, back to it uh yeah i don't know now now some of this may have to do with a question we have later on about heating the space that was it thank you oh my gosh thank you for reading my mind yeah is with with the pre-made stuff do you have to heat it like you would uh, the stuff that you either manufacture yourself or do, or do you, do you not have to, even the one you manufacture your, yourself, do you not have to heat it? Because I, I know you always hear about the old glue pot and you got to break this out and break that yeah. out. Is that something you still have to do with all hide glues? Um, technically, I don't think you need to for the liquid. I know um, Type Bond, uh, that works just fine right out of the bottle. I found that old brown glue is a little bit too viscous right out of the bottle, um, especially now because – you know, I just have a space heater in my shop, so um, the colder it gets, the more viscous it gets. But I found that old brown flows a lot better if you heat it up. Um, okay. And I do have a glue pot um, that just keeps a, a constant temperature. You put it in a water bath, um, and um, I will, if I know I'm going to be doing some gluing up, I'll flip on the burner, throw the the bottle of glue in there, and I'm I'm good to go. Um, it doesn't. It won't overheat. In other words, because it's a it's a good glue warmer. I got it. Tools for working wood. Cool little glue pot. Um, I just find that it's really low viscosity at that point, and it flows really really well. There there is some some gap filling nature of of uh, high glue, not like epoxy where if you've got that crappy fitting joint, you might be able to get away with it, but. Mm. Um, there is some element of it that will, as it flows really, really well, it can get into some of those gaps and it would be kind of nice. Um, the color is certainly nice when it's dry too. If you're using a, um, you know, maple or, or even cherry, I think it blends pretty well. But as far as the stuff that you have to mix up yourself, absolutely, that needs to be heated. Because essentially all you're doing is taking the, the grains or the pellets or whatever, you're um, adding water so that it becomes a, a, a gel type thing um as that cools it's going to turn into this really thick viscous sludge um and you heat it up to get it so that it's workable um, okay what's cool about it i mean th- there is there's definitely a shelf life but there's a shelf life to all glue high glue has a much shorter shelf life all right so, that was my next question hey see i'm still doing it <laughs> wow um, that's amazing most of the manufacturers should have a date on it i'm trying to think back now to type bond i'm they probably have a date on there. I know Old Brown has um, uh, Phil specifically stamps a date on the back, and it's pretty much um, a year is your shelf life. But uh, do you guys know what like tight bond is? Isn't that close to it? I I want to say that. Yeah, I don't think it's much longer than yeah. than, than a year. So I, maybe there's not that much of a difference. Yeah. Um, but I think the key is is um, know when your glue was made. So you know, if you buy it off the shelf at a you know a woodcraft or a rocker or whatever, and it was made six months ago, just be aware of the fact that you know you might have some problems. I have to believe that high glue, being much more of an organic uh, substance, it's probably going to break down more than something like PVA would after yeah. that expiration date. You know, it's kind of like 
whole milk versus skim milk. One of them is going to last a little bit longer past that date because <laughs> <Right. laughs> yeah. there's more schmutz in one. Mm, so, we, but temperature is a big deal. Um, even when it comes to, I think the, the open time as well, yeah. obviously the warmer it is, the more open time you're going to have. But I think that's the same with PVA too. Yeah. Well, another question that I had regarding this, and I'm sure uh, actually Scott was another person that was asking a very similar question about the the difference between uh, the, the uh, on the shelf and make it your, yourself uh, hide glues. The the big thing supposedly is the fact that you can reheat it and kind of move things around so that it, unlike like a PVA where basically you have to destroy the joint to get to it, hide glue yep. where you you can apply some heat. And you can typically reopen the the joint and work on it again that way, which uh, yeah, I guess uh, that is that is really true. Like that. I've actually done that once, and I will tell you, it is not easy. So <laughs> okay. for those of you that think, well, I'm not going to use that if it's reversible, it is a royal yeah. pain in the butt. It's one of okay. those things that, that I have, apart. I have thought about doing. I mean, I haven't really delved into hide glue, but if I were getting into like certain types of chairs, chairs are one of those things that not it's not if the joint breaks or if the chair loosens up, it's when the chair loosens up. And at that point, a lot of times with a chair repair, you need to to kind of break it more before you can fix it. And if you can't get those things apart, you're in trouble. So something like a chair that has uh, a high usage and a high likelihood that it's going to need repair in the future, it's a real nice treat for the person who has to do the repair <laughs> if you use yeah. a glue that actually can be separated and worked on. So that that's something to think about too, depending on what you're building and the likelihood that you'll need to ever separate those joints. You might want to keep that in mind. Yeah. And to address one other question you brought up at the beginning, Matt, is um, the smell... With the liquid stuff, I don't even notice it. Uh, I don't really think there is much of a smell. The stuff you mix up yourself, that's what people are talking about, but I don't right. really find that to be a problem either. I think the better quality it is, the less it's going to smell. And the the only the only mix-it-yourself high glue I have is the really, really well-refined stuff that mm. Tools for Working would sell specifically for veneering. Mm-hmm. And it has like practically no smell at all. I mean, it, they've refined out all the smell, in other words. I remember reading someplace, and I, I'm going to try and, and, and I, can't, I can't think of the, which blog it was. Uh, I know that there was a discussion about hide glue, and there was a, a big thing about, like, do you add urea? I know they were trying to make their own hide glue, which, again, to me is like the same thing <laughs> as why? Yeah. <laughs> Other than – You know, you got to love those folks. You know, thank God for them yeah. that they, they make their own finishes and their own glue. But what do you do? You just, go around, and, uh, you just go around and gather up some neighborhood dogs and uh, – <laughs> That's exactly what I was thinking. <laughs> Get your stock ready. right here. And everybody come on in. Good God, Joe, what are you doing in there? It smells like a rendering plant. Oh, oh, okay. Never mind. Um, I wanted to mention also in the forum, uh, coincidentally, someone did post recently a, a post that says no love for hot hide glue anymore. So if you want to get in on that conversation, you could uh, sort of talk about the pros and cons of hot hide glue. If you have uh, some thoughts to add to that, that's up in the Wood Talk forum. Nice. Yeah. All right. So what's what's next? Do we have any more on this? Uh, oh, I, I promised that I would mention this to Dustin because um, he said about luthiers. Uh, I called a couple of my customers today, and I can tell you that Paul Reed Smith, Taylor, and Gibson guitars all do use high glue on their fretboards. Oh, cool. That was not something that he had just like heard somewhere from Aunt Gladys. I can confirm <laughs> that. You know, it's funny though, the people who use hide glue seem to really love it. And when you when you get through its its sort of peculiar nuances, if you're used to a PVA glue, it does seem like it has a lot of benefits and there's really not a lot of good reasons not to use it other than the the big one, which is if you're doing like hot hide glue, the convenience, but if you're using one of the cooler uh, you know, room temperature usable formulas. I don't know. It, it's something to think about. I just, out of convenience, I don't even think about it just because I, I can go get a gallon of type on anytime <laughs> I need one. Uh, yeah. But it's something I've thought about, you know, it seems like uh, it might be cool to experiment with a little bit. Right. The big doesn't thing work well to- outside though. Remember that. If you've got an exterior piece of furniture, go grab your Type Bond 3 or your Gorilla or whatever. Right, right, right. I'm going to write that one down right now. The big <laughs> thing for me was the fact that it, uh, I, I was always under the impression that it was really, really simple to to heat up and take care of it. Because I was like, well, why would you want to build it? You put it next to your heater, and the next thing you know, everybody's going to be falling out of their chair or something. But <laughs> yeah, no, that's just me. But you know, moving on with the, the whole thing with like a, a polyurethane glue. Let me go ahead and grab this next one. and uh, I'm going to this one is from Paul Jordan, and this one's a very short question. It says, what's y'all stance on polyurethane glue versus PVA glue like Titebond? <laughs> is poly stronger? 
Nice. Sorry, I like Paul, how he, if that's like really bad. He typed it with I, an accent. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> but anyways, uh, this I know this is a question that we've had in the, in the past. We can probably hit this one rather quickly. But uh, for me, polyurethane glue is one of those things that um, I would more likely use that for an outdoor project when it comes to regular projects. It's such a pain to work with, especially if you get it on your hands because it stains your hands. You have to wet you know, the mating materials before you actually apply the glue, uh, where PVA – you, you choose the right one, the right uh, situation. It's going to be perfectly fine. Um, so I, I actually prefer PVA, even though everybody goes on about how polyurethane is so much stronger. I don't know that it's so much stronger that it's worth messing with it for the the messiness and the staining that it does and the foaming that happens afterwards. Oh, that foam. Oh, man, that's worst. And I think that's its biggest uh, criticism that most people have and why a lot of people have steered clear of it uh, and go back to PVA glues. So I do have some poly glue, but I kind of use it for specific tasks. If I'm gluing dissimilar materials, I might use it. Um, it doesn't make its way into very many of my projects at all. I'm, I'm more of a PVA person myself. Well, here's the thing. Any wood that requires you to wet a surface in order to properly activate it, to me, that's a red flag because there are some woods that are not going to respond as well to that as yeah. others. So if you're using right. really like tropical exotics that are really oily and you're relying upon that water to do that or any composites for that matter, um, resin impregnated things that have removed um, air and filled the – like what Scott was talking about, Scott Meek, a couple episodes ago – um, I actually just got a product demo today of a composite wood product and um, they specifically say don't use polyurethane glue because it requires water to activate it and our material won't absorb water anymore. Yeah. It's like, oh, okay. So I guess what that means is it, it almost blocks the glue from penetrating into the grain itself, mm-hmm. which now you've got a, a starved glue joint, just like what's his name over at Woodgears came up with. Interesting. Which brings you to the other point of who cares if it's stronger? <laughs> because what, what, what we learned on Wood Gears is that you need to be morbidly, ridiculously Guinness Book of World Records obese in order to break the joint to begin with. That so. is true. That's true. <laughs> or as we call it, a typical family, uh, Vanderlust family Thanksgiving where we all pile into one chair just to see what will happen. Uh, read us a story, Dad. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I have to I have to relate this story about my first time I ever uh, saw uh, a polyurethane glue. I walked into my local hardware store. You know those little tiny ones where there's like the one guy that knows where every single thing is and knows exactly the size of the bolt that you, you walk in with, even though you haven't pulled it out? Well, they were all excited because a uh, manufacturer had just come in and they did a demonstration where they showed them, look, you can take these two butt joints and you can put this one right on here. And so they basically created a T. And he goes, and look, it's staying right in place. We can't break this. And I remember thinking, when the hell am I going to do that? without some sort of reinforcement in there. <laughs> it doesn't make any sense to me, but hey, I'm happy for you. By the way, where's that screw that I'm looking for? <laughs> well, you know, there, there is, um, I can't remember his name, Thomas Mosier's son, the guy that is, for, well, Thomas is still running the factory, but his son is like a real big furniture designer now, and he built this Z-shaped chair, and it's basically just a miter joint, but he's got some sort of crazy epoxy. And... Um, you know, they basically put an elephant on the chair and it was just glue, glue and a miter. Imagine nice. a Z shaped chair. So really acute miters. Sure. Sure. And just glue. And it was like, you know, you can drive a Humvee over top of it. No problem. So, you know, certainly there's some technology out there that would just blow your mind. But at the same time, it's like, okay, well, how about I just put a spline there and use PVA instead? <laughs> right. I just want to say for the record, I don't want to live someplace where I have to have furniture that can withstand being driven over by Humvees. <laughs> I don't want to live in a world that has that. It sounds like a bad neighborhood. <laughs> it does. Yeah, right. <laughs> That's a saw-stealing neighborhood right there. <laughs> that is, exactly. Nice. All right. Can I read this next one? I don't have one to read. No, I yes. want to read. Okay, go for it. Thank you, Matt. Okay, Richard writes in and he says, if you guys don't have the luxury of doing finishing and gluing up in a heated space, how and what would you do to get through your winter months? I personally have three locations for woodworking. One, sawdust in a garage. Two, gluing up, uh, sneaking things into my job's warehouse and using my bedroom uh, or using my bedroom. And three, a spare bedroom for finishing. Um, I actually, in the past, when 
when it dips down here, it gets it's not, you know, everyone else's standard of, of cold, but it's if it's all the way to forty five. But <laughs> if it does get, you know, between thirty and forty degrees, that is gonna be a problem for finishing and for gluing up. So I have in the past, when I've had a critical glue up or something that was drying, I might spray a finish or something outside and then I bring it inside to dry. And same thing with glue ups. I may actually do the assembly and apply my clamps in the shop. But then I actually cart that thing into the house and it goes wherever it goes. Um, I guess it depends on your family situation and, and how much they look down upon you bringing things into the house. But I have done that before and have no problem doing that if I need something to get enough heat in an overnight sort of situation when the glue is drying or letting the finish dry. I would put that in like a back bedroom. So, so he mentioned the solutions that I would employ. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, I have a little like $20 electric space heater in my garage. Mm-hmm. And it's amazing how warm I mean, I can't turn that thing on max. The the shop gets way too hot. Yeah. So, and I mean, I I don't have any extra insulation in my garage door or anything like that. In fact, the outside wall of the house around the window leaks like a sieve. So, <laughs> just don't stand in that corner of the shop. <laughs> but I mean, I've done glue-ups with just that one space heater, you know, and it's seven degrees outside um so something too a cheap little space heater i wouldn't probably leave it on all the time or on when you're not in the shop don't leave it on but still it's it's amazing how much you can warm up a small room and that's one thing is really when it comes down to it and this is one thing that i've been kind of talking about or been i've been doing some research with when it comes to cold weather woodworking is you don't need to have that space heater on for the whole entire time you can have it on for you know a lot of the glues are setting up enough in like two or three hours that you could come in you can set it on a timer practically let it heat up enough so that the the joint is going to work and then you know wood is an insulator so it's going to that that joint line is actually going to be insulated enough from the the heat that was already there that it's going to allow the glue to set up even further. The main thing in kind of talking about the space heater is you don't even have to heat the the shop up to like the way that you would the rest of the house. Yeah. You just have to heat it up enough to the manufacturer's uh, recommendations for what works best with their glue. So a lot of times that's like 45 degrees, I was 50 degrees. Say, you get into the 50s, you're probably okay. Exactly. So yeah, sure. Yeah, that's that. That's a really easy one. Maybe even throw a blanket over. Say, you know, tell it a good night story and <laughs> right. keep it nice and warm. <laughs> okay. Hey, this uh, last question here. I do want to hit it only because it is sort of on topic. Let's just try to answer it very quickly because I'm, I'm good. pressed for time here. Uh, Josh says, "I'm new to woodworking. Would like to hear some thoughts on glue squeeze out and cleanup. Is better to wipe it up early, let it dry, and then chip it off. What about using sawdust and rubbing it in?" Uh, love the show. Keep it up. I will just say what I did. I guess we'll kind of go round table style here. Um, I like to let the glue sit for about 30 minutes and then I scrape it off. It's at least in my climate, 30 minutes is just long enough that it starts to skin over and I could scrape it without the bubble bursting and spreading all over the surface. Uh, that does leave a surface that still needs to be cleaned up afterwards, but I find it to be far better than wiping it with a wet cloth while the glue is wet, which drives that glue right into the pores. Uh, if it's a non-critical face surface, like if it's something that is not going to be facing the outside of the project, I won't hesitate to wipe it away while it's wet, just because I think that's a little bit more convenient. Um, and I'm not so worried about finish issues like that. Uh, but that's typically how I handle it. Uh, my favorite way is it's very similar. I will do what you just described. If it's say like an inside corner of like, like a, a drawer or, or maybe a, a carcass or whatever it is that I'm working on, something that's going to be showing, I'll give that a little bit extra attention. But I've been getting really lazy lately and I've just been letting it dry completely over and then coming back in and scraping it off. Yeah. And for the most part, I haven't had really issues because usually when I'm doing that, I'm going to be coming back in to work that surface anyways with some hand planes or uh, a sander. And I really haven't had major issues with it tearing wood at the same time. Now, it doesn't mean it hasn't happened, but yeah. the vast majority of the time, um, it doesn't. That has happened to me a number of times. If I forgot about a particular drop or two, there's just a little droplet there, and then I go to scrape it away, and I pop it off, and I'm like, darn it. Like, after yeah. it's done, you see this little divot left, and you're like, ah, crap. So yep. it, it can and will happen. So that, that to me, that's the, the worst thing to do. I'd rather see you use a wet method than leave it dry completely. Well, here's another thing I like about high glue. Um PVA dries really hard and sometimes sharp. Mm. Um, high glue, now granted, it, it certainly takes, if you let it for weeks and weeks and weeks, it probably will harden up quite a bit. But it still maintains like the consistency of like, you know, an eraser or something like that. So 
Um, I have no hesitation of just letting it dry and then planing it off because I don't have to worry about it nicking a blade or anything like that. It, it, it's kind of got a, a rubbery texture to it mm-hmm. and it's never really been an issue. So lately that I've been using high glue, I just let it go. But at the same time, yeah, it doesn't interfere with the finish. So yeah, really. <laughs> if it rubs in, no big deal. Yeah, just leave it there. Don't even, don't even scrape it. <laughs> just it. leave it. It'll look good. All right, so we have a couple of iTunes reviews to read. Of course, head over to the iTunes store, look us up, Wood Talk, and you'll find a spot to leave us a nice review. Let us know what you think of the show. I'll take the first one here from Thomas Porter. He calls it the top podcast of all. It's a matter of perspective. It's just great to hear dedicated woodworkers who have the same thought processes that we all have at one time or another. Sometimes it's just hard to get work in the shop because to get to work in the shop, despite that it is what we love to do. Pardon my terrible reading. Um, <laughs> nice to know that we're not alone in our enthusiasm as well as our doubts. These guys pump up my energy. Wow. Pump up the volume. Pump up the volume. Nice. I was thinking that. <laughs> Barry, Barry65 says, the very entertaining. Be careful as you listen to Wood Talk, enjoying the high-quality production, varying viewpoints, and grassroots focus. Wow. Oh, yeah. You might actually learn something. You have been warned. Yes, be careful. <laughs> and I would like to warn people that you wouldn't have learned anything from me. That's for sure. <laughs> you might learn how to do a good chortle. Yeah, or maybe go back and listen to another episode and find out what I actually said in the previous one. You, yeah, you right. might learn some good jokes. You'll find out who the poll of the week is, uh, all that good stuff. All right. And so, just, to, just a reminder, according to my um, word origin calendar, this Friday, the 30th, is <laughs> National Chortle Day. That's right. Nice. I gotta write the that down. word of the day is chortle. Very good. We'll I'm wearing my chortle t shirt. We'll have to celebrate yes. together. Okay. Hey, just a quick reminder today's show was sponsored by Bad Axe Toolworks and Benchcrafted. You could see those guys at badaxetoolworks.com and benchcrafted.com. Awesome products, small companies. You want to support these guys for sure. Uh, Matt, if you want to give them the contact info, we will get the heck out of here. All right. As always, folks, if you have any comments, questions, suggestions, there are several different ways that you can get a hold of us. Uh, number one, you can find us over at Skype. Look for us. Our, we are Wood Talk Online. You can call our voicemail line at 623-242-5180. Email us at woodtalkonline at gmail.com. Visit us on our Facebook page like so many of you have been doing. We really appreciate that. We are Wood Talk. Wait, no, oh yeah, that's it. And then, of course, if you're looking for today's show notes or downloads from today's show or any of the previous episodes, you'll find them over at woodtalkshow.com. And definitely check out that new player where you can listen to all those old episodes. Just really easy. Just click it. Boom, you're listening. And the next thing you know, you're like, oh, my God, not another chortle. Oh, yeah, too many chortles. You can never have too many. Never. Uh, all right. Well, hey, thanks, everybody, for listening. If you're listening at home or in your car, thank you. Stay on the road. Every time Matt chortles, I know you swerve a little bit, but be careful mm-hmm. there. Uh, and we will, uh, I guess we'll catch you next week. That's right. Yeah. See you later, folks. Be See fouled. ya. See ya. Hey. See ya. Oh. Oh, chisel. Oh. chisel. You hang up. <laughs> All right. Mom? <laughs> <laughs> For more information about this and other shows, visit frogpants.com. Audio program so good, it's like you're there.